having the tools in your shed. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. The views expressed on this show belong to the show hosts, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. Everything from A to Z. 26 letters from A to Z. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. That this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, later in the uh, in the program, we're going to uh, have uh, David Elisolo from the Director of the Department of Labor to discuss, uh, give updates on what's happening with the PUA checks, particularly uh, in the uh, with the enactment uh, of the American Rescue Plan uh, passed by uh, President Biden and the Democrats in the Congress. Um, they just recently have been, been given uh, uh, administrative guidance in the U.S. Department of Labor, and so we'll be able to give far more, uh, more clear answers as to what that means for the people of Guam than uh, several weeks ago when we first discussed the, the, the matter with them. Uh, also, we'll have uh, be visiting uh, uh, some of the work with the Bureau of Statistics and Plants, including the erection of uh, new coastal signage, which uh, will happen around the island. We'll have uh, Sonia Serian from the Bureau to discuss uh, What's happening with that project? This is the, as I said, the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. We are broadcast live on News Talk KFT7 and on 96.5 FM, and we are simulcast on Docomo Channel 3 and GTA Channel 2. And a podcast of tonight's proceedings will be posted uh, on online at kfd7.com, and links to the, the uh, those podcasts will be posted on the Bureau's three social media pages, one for the Bureau itself, one for the Coral Reef Initiative, and a third for the Guam Coastal Management Program. Um, you're also uh, streaming live on uh, Facebook at News Talk K57, and also streaming on pncguam.com and, uh, and on kfd7.com. So uh, many ways to catch up uh, if you're busy and you're catching this on the road and want to hear the full program and to uh, catch up later. We're right now waiting for a uh, phone call for a very busy woman this morning, got up very early, uh, the director of the Real Women's Affairs, Jane Flores, uh, to talk about uh, uh, what's important happening this month in, in particular, that April is National Sexual Assault um, Month or National Assault Awareness Month. And we'll discuss uh, what plans the Bureau has and what is being done nationally to uh, aware awareness of that, uh, that issue uh, as well. Uh, for those of you, um, you know, who have, um, have been uh, listening to the program, I sort of provide regular updates as to what's happening to the Biden-Harris administration on policies that are important to the island, uh, particularly in the field of the environment. And one thing that uh, perhaps uh, those of you out there interested in may want to check out is the new US EPA climate change page. It's at uh, 
www.epa.gov backslash climate change or climate hyphen, climate hyphen change. And uh, from that, you'll be able to see, uh, get valuable information uh, from um, uh, what's ha- on the issue of climate change, including information on uh, climate data reports and resources and on uh, reducing emissions and, uh, and addressing impacts and additional uh, climate change resources from various organizations such as NASA and the, um, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the National Academy of Sciences, et cetera. They also have posted as uh, some administrative measures the Biden and Harris administration has taken earlier this year uh, for um, uh, issues such as uh, on the issue of climate change, including their executive order that they, President Biden uh, uh, implemented uh, shortly after taking office in January. And it's on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. And it's, it's a rather lengthy executive order and sets out uh, a number of measures uh, to, uh, to deal with um, um, uh, climate change. and. Uh, including there is the in it is the creation of the u.s climate um uh, national climate task force you know chaired by the uh, national climate advisor including the secretary of the treasury the secretary of defense the attorney general the secretary of the interior uh the secretary of agriculture the secretary of commerce the secretary of labor the secretary of health and human services and the secretary of housing and urban development the secretary of transportation the secretary of energy the secretary of homeland security and uh, I, that's probably sounds like the whole cabinet, actually. And uh, the administrator of uh, G- GSA and the General Services Administration, the chair of the Council of Environmental Quality, the administrator of EPA, uh, US EPA, that is, and the director of the Office of Management Budget and the Office of Science and Technology, and various other White House uh, officials and in, uh, in high up on the, uh, on, the, on the ladder, so to speak, in the White House. Well, we're going to take a, a, a quick commercial break as we wait for uh, Jane Flores to uh, call in and bring us up to speed as to what's happening with uh, the Bureau of Women's Affairs. See you on the other side. Oh, I see. Is, is Jane there? Ah, okay. Jane, are you with us? Good evening. I, Jane, you know, I, the, here's what happened. I have uh, the light blinking on your screen, but they didn't say who was on the line, so I wasn't sure you were there. So well, it, it was, there was kind of a glitch when I was calling in that um, the, it hung up on me twice. So. Oh, well, you know. But, you know. I, I'm sorry we, we were able to produce that, such a finely tuned operation as that which you uh, carried out so well. And first of all, allow me, uh, allow me to express my appreciation for you remaining awake <laughs> to join this program at 6.30 at night. Now, how, how early did you have to get to the K57 studios this morning? Uh, we got it in there at about 20 to 6. 20, 20 to 6. Yeah, for those of you who didn't yeah. catch it, Jane took over Patty Royal's program uh, just for today uh, for the full swing, which means she got in there like around the time of dawn. And here we are in sunset, and she's still uh, still at it like the Energizer Bunny. Um, there you, know, you getting, go. You know, just, just one day a week I can do that. One day fun. a week here. Okay. Well, at ours, Jane, one day a week is pretty damn good. So, um, well, and thank you for calling in this morning and talking about the census, um, because that was something that I know people are interested in, especially people who apply for grants. Yes, you know, and and we, you know, we it's it's one of those one of those things where uh, we're just going to have to wait for the federal government its own good uh, course to uh, to do it here. There's been a number of federal processes. I, I don't in your work with the federal programs office, you may have heard this that. Uh, I, the approvals for certain steps and grants, and e- even after rebudgeting here, the, that whole process of approvals is, seems to be slower uh, over the last few months than it has previously. And uh, we're thinking that um, it has to do with either a change in the administration or else too many people teleworking and uh, not quite uh, 
not getting to it though. Um, and, 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 you know, either one, you know, it's 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 a sort of thing we sort of deal with and have to wait for the feds to uh, to come to grips with it. The census, the census operation itself. Um, although the people we've dealt with, uh, Jennifer Kim and the uh, uh, local uh, uh, U.S. Census advisor, Tarina Long, who was on, on as, as I mentioned your, on your program this morning for a year with us here, they've been great, you know, but it's the Census Bureau itself has had to do with, from the beginning, had to do with uh, uh, Supreme Court cases on whether to include the uh, uh, citizenship question or not. And then there's been concern about the um, uh, Senator Commerce Wilbur Mills from the previous administration rushing. Uh, to complete the census and that it's back on the doubt and that meant for a matter of court cases here and then there's even concern now about trying to re, uh, there's a group out trying to revisit the census or uh, in there in the, in the uh, concern of the previous uh, operation on the mainland uh, may not oh, be wow. as effective as possible so they've had a lot of things in their plate so i i, I generally um, am fairly patient with them waiting for like some firm commitments as to what's uh, what's going to happen and what's going to appear but so much for for my past project. I'm, I'm I had uh, asked Jane to come on the program today, um, because April is um, is an important month, and perhaps with the uh, you could share to the audience what is April. April, well, it's actually several. There are several designations for April, but one of the most important is it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month this April, and of course that is something that we wish we didn't have to designate, but unfortunately. We do, and it is not. I was just talking to someone today, at, you know, with the coalition, actually with Cynthia Cabot over at the Coalition Against Sexual Assault and Family Violence, about mm -hmm. the fact that, unfortunately, sexual assault is not uh, germane to any one culture. It is something that is, as we all know, something that is a, a global problem. And, you know, just, you know, for our island, though, we have a very high rate of sexual assault, unfortunately, here. And it is, you know, I, I don't think it has to do with any one culture as, as, as much as it has to do, and this is just my own, you know, just having dealt with it for the last couple years with some of the other... Um, criminal elements on our island, mainly drug mm -hmm. abuse and, you know, all of the ills that go with, along with that, with human trafficking. So, but um, it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It's also Child Abuse Prevention Month, mm -hmm. Youth Month, and then April 18th to the 24th, I think, is National Crime Victims Week. So they all kind of dovetail into one thing, you know, um, celebrating youth also is you know, has to do with teaching youth how to be respectful to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we can all do to help prevent sexual assault is to raise our, yeah, and break in at any time, Ty, with, with questions. But, you know, they, they, you know, women are, women always say, we're so tired of, of learning how to prevent sexual assault. You know how to or how to how to guard against sexual assault you know when you're a young woman um i i, I don't know if i talked about this before on, on your show the last time i was on but you know every young woman who you know goes away to college or goes to a you know is it at gets off of work late at night you know whether you're in high school or you're you know you are taught the key trick do you know what the key trick is ty no Okay, the key trick is something that if you ask 
any young woman, she knows what the key trick is. And the key trick is they tell you, and guys don't do this because guys don't need to know it. Um, but the key trick is you take your car keys and you hold them in between your fingers and jut them out as, as like, like a weapon so that if somebody comes at you, you can, you know, like punch at them with your fist and then the key, you know, try to jab them in the mm. face or the eye or something like that. It's a protection mode. Mm. And you know, to use with your car keys, and they always tell you, put your keys in between your fingers when you walk into your car alone at night. So if somebody comes at you, and you know these kinds of things that that women are tired of. You know why don't we just teach men not to sexually assault women? Mm-hmm. You know, or other men, or or boys, or whatever. You know, and 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 so that is, you know, the and and so that goes along with youth month and and teaching young people to have respect for each other, to have, you know, to, you know, when they're talking about having sex to consent, to talk about birth control, you know, and um, that's what somebody said to me. And you, you can chime in if you want. I, I just didn't want to get away with uh, all the valuable information that you're, that you're yeah. presenting people. Well, so. Somebody said to me the other day that, you know, we were talking about birth control and teaching young men that, hey, you know, if you are with your girlfriend, you know, ask her if she's on birth control. And if not, use a condom. Offer to use a condom. And, and somebody said, oh, tomorrow men are the worst. They don't like to use condoms. And it's like, well, hey, guess what, guys? <laughs> We're going to teach the girls to say, if you don't want to use a condom, get away from me because I don't want to get pregnant. You know, so, you well, know. But these are, are the things that we have to teach young people about in order to prevent sexual assault. It's just to, you know, mainly it's just to have respect for one another mm-hmm. and to respect someone else's person and their being and, and that you don't take what someone doesn't want to give you, you know? Right, that right. Kind of thing. Well, so. you know, Jane, just, um, just to go back to... Um, the uh, what we started with National Sexual Awareness, uh, National Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which I believe it's in, this is the 20th year they've uh, commemorated it. Um, you you were mentioning about how it's not a, a cultural uh, issue as well, but you, but the thing the thing is a, a sexual assault like like domestic assault is um, historically uh, no matter what culture in is is a has been a uh, a crime that has uh, exists in silence. And I, it's, yeah. al- it's always occurred to me that when, as the as you note historically, as the statistics rise, you know, I'm always left to wonder: Are these statistics actually rising, or is just the reporting of what is of what is actually happening rising? You know, it was it was it always there, and just no one talked about it here. But as we find more about it, as more and more people talk about it, and so I, I was I was wondering your take on if it's if the crime itself is not a cultural one, perhaps. It's one in one aspect over another, and I include Western culture in, in this as well, mm-hmm. as to the extent that, 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 that the culture of not speaking about it or not being comfortable to speak about it is, is, is in itself its, its own challenge, because this is a, a crime that exists in darkness, not in sunlight. And uh, the more light there is, the, uh, the harder it is to actually can, uh, commit the crime. And, 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 and that, I think, is one of the aspects that's really important to bring out, is that you know, it's unfortunate that we don't we don't think that there's more sexual assault. We just think that, especially with the Me Too movement and mm-hmm. and arming young women with knowledge, there are more reportings. 
Mm-hmm. You know, before, and you're right, before it was a hush-hush crime. Mm-hmm. You know, you told the girl to stay away from uncle, whoever, you know, because he touched you in the wrong way, just stay away from him. You know, we don't want to, you know, embarrass anybody in the family or... Or the other aspect is that you put up with it like women put up with it because the person who is doing the assaulting is the breadwinner of the family and they don't feel like they have anywhere else to go or anywhere else to turn to. And, you know, that is another aspect that we need to work on is to tell them that, yes, you do. We have, you know, we have the LE shelter. We have victim advocates reaching out. You do have places that you can go that will help you to, you know, because some of these women, you know, they don't have any education, they don't have a job, they have no way to feed their kids, and so I just have to put up with this, you know, assault or or one of my kids being assaulted because... I have nowhere else to go. And, and I but, think it's no, no, worth noting here, and you just ran off a litany of, uh, of places to go for help and support, and that the, there's the uh, proliferation of these, uh, of these uh, services, though, is, is a historically a fairly new one, I think. The, like, the first uh, rape crisis center was in 1971, less than, less than 50 years ago in San Francisco. And now it's a it's a standard of a, of modern uh, American life, at least in any community, to have some sort of function like that. So, I, I just mentioned that uh, sort of factoid just to put things in context about how a lot of this is is, is the evolution evolution of not only uh, the therapies to deal with the with the crisis, but even just the uh, 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 deal with the crime, but just even the recognition of the crime itself and the need to address it. Mm-hmm. And you know. That, that is very true. Our Healing Hearts Rape Crisis Center has only been around for two, for about two decades, and mm. and we are still. We just my um the federal programs office that I run. We just got an increase in criminal justice responses grant of nearly nine hundred thousand wow. dollars, and the bulk of it is going to Guam Sarco, which is the overarching nonprofit that runs that, that helps to run Healing Hearts Rape. Crisis Center, and this is to to um, train six new sexual assault nurse examiners, or six six sexual a combination of nurse and forensic, and the forensic being the doctor, sexual assault examiners. Because right now on Guam, we only have three people on the island that are trained to do sexual assault exams, forensic exams for the purposes of prosecution. And if, you know, if there are two nurses and one doctor, and if somebody's off island and the other two are working, then I've had, I've had issues, and this is why we wrote the grant, and we're really grateful to the Office of Violence Against Women and the Department of Justice for mm-hmm. giving us this grant, is that, you know, I've had um, victim advocates come to me and say, you know, one of them said, I had a 12-year-old girl who had to sit and couldn't shower for 12 hours until the examiner mm. could get off of work to come and and examine her because you only have 72 hours once a rape is committed to gather the evidence before the evidence is no longer admissible in court in in, in a, a legal proceeding and so having six more people and adding you know instead of three having nine is going to to do you know, it's going to help prosecute these these perpetrators to the point where I think, you know, and so there, it's a combination, like you said, it's a combination. It's a combination of education of young girls and young boys about 
awareness of their bodies, how their body works, get away from me, I, you know, and, and teaching them to speak out that they don't need to put up with this. It's a combination of, of, of teaching women that you don't have to put up with this. You can get help and services to get you back, you know, to get you on your feet on your own. And, you know, it's just reporting rape traditionally, nationally, I think, and internationally is the most underreported crime because it is, you know, it is, it, it is as personal a crime as you can get. And, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, what we have to do is, you know, it's something that makes you feel ashamed and you, you don't want to admit that somebody violated you in such a personal manner, but, you know, coming forward is the only way that we're going to, you know, teach the perpetrators that know, you know, and put the blame on the perp, and put mm-hmm. the, you know, put the embarrassment on the perpetrator. You sexually assaulted someone. You are now a pariah in the community because you did this. That's the point at which we need to get, mm-hmm. and we're not there yet. Uh, well, well, perhaps for for the listening audience, and you've touched on on some of the, the framework uh, for for dealing with the uh, um, with the with the issue of sexual assault. We have healing hearts. Um, there is, uh, uh, I'm sure, a number of uh, other components out there, both both in terms of uh, nonprofit organizations, but also in government services. What, what exactly? Maybe just paint a broader picture. What is out there that is either one of service to people or of us of, 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 who are victims of sexual assault or potential victims of sexual assault uh, deal with the issue of uh, education and uh, and awareness and uh, and also perhaps pre, um, deals with the issue of of the sort of silence that uh, often descends upon these things and how how best to uh, how best to pierce it maybe just give people a picture of where we're at here and then from that we can maybe have a discussion as to where we need to go forward to well, one of the one of the main components that we have with regard to education and training is our Guam Coalition Against Sexual Assault and Family Violence, and, and Cynthia Cynthia Cabot is the executive director, and our office works very closely with her, and she's very good at what she does, and she brings. Now, the coalition does not offer services; they offer training, but they train the service providers. Mm-hmm. So we have for service providers, we have. Um, we of course have Vero. We have Healing Hearts, which provides the, the you know the counseling and the sexual assault exams. Vero is victim advocates reaching out. The Ali Shelter. We have um, um, the Guam Legal Services mm-hmm. and the Guam um, Legal Service Guam Legal Service Corporation, which help victims and and take them through the and you know hold their hand through the uh, criminal justice process which can be daunting. GPD has advocates. We pay for advocates, victim advocates at GPD because the, the police officers, they, you know, are trained also to um, to interview the, the, the victim. But then again, an advocate comes in and is with the victim and sits there with the victim and helps them through the process and takes them, you know, and these advocates are trained. so. We have um, the, the Catholic Church has uh, community-based um, education about sexual assault, and there are there are myriad organizations that that are out there. I'm trying to think of all of them that we, the courts, have um, advocates. Also, the uh, Attorney General's offices have mm-hmm. victim advocates, and so there are a lot of 
Uh, and and a lot, most of these are federally funded. Right. And and these advocates are there to help the victims through the process and through the healing process. And so, what are, we are trying to do right now, our office is is developing. Uh, well, every four years, we have to develop a new state implement state implementation plan for our STOP and our SAS grants. And our, our STOP grant is a these are formula grants that mm-hmm. we get every year based on our population, which is why I was very interested in the population <laughs> number. Yes, yes. I, I kind of uh, guess that I was sort of leaving it open for you to uh, to interject that into the discussion this morning while I talked about all sorts of other grants other than the ones I knew you, when you were in, particularly interested in. So, mm-hmm. uh, But uh, yeah, anyway, um, um, you know, it's, it has been, there's been a lot of literature out about how the... Um, uh, the COVID-19 um, health emergency has uh, produced um, its own um, uh, outbreak of, um, of mental health challenges and concerns uh, that uh, the not just um, the isolation, but also uh, unemployment in some cases has produced on uh, increasing demand for things like the suicide crisis hotline. And uh, also um, it's been um, written up there and contributed to an increase in and domestic uh, and domestic abuse cases here. Do what? What's your take about how this may impact uh, uh, on or, or how how that situation may or may not have impacted on uh, incidents of uh, sexual assault? Well, unfortunately, and and I've seen this around the country because I have said it. You know, I have Google alerts about domestic violence and sexual assault, and you know, we've seen. On, on Guam, we ha- we don't have the numbers for for d- the DV numbers yet for for 2020. I haven't gotten those from GPD yet, but we did get the uh, sexual assault numbers. And in the last three years, the number of sexual assaults on Guam, the re- the number of reported sexual assaults has actually gone down. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that the actual number of sexual assaults has decreased. It's the number that re- is reported. But uh, what is very disturbing about that number is that while the number of reported sexual assaults has decreased in in the last three years, I think it was 283 in 2018, two, I want to say 236 in 2019, and 190 in 2020, the, num- the percentage of sexual assaults where the victims are minors has increased each year, mm-hmm. 61%, per, 61% to 71% to this. In 2020, we had 190 reported sexual assaults, and 75% of them were minors. Wow. And that is the most disturbing statistic. Wow. Because what that means is that people are taking advantage of children because and minors because they think that they won't talk. And that's why we need to get to, you know, the minors. And, and we, you know, there is a lot in Kate cur- curriculum that GDOE is, is um, supposed to be teaching in the classrooms about good touch, bad touch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in elementary school, it's good touch, bad touch. You know, if somebody makes you feel bad, you know, tell somebody. And the thing that we were the most worried about and that Daryl was the most worried about, and that Healing Hearts was, that everybody who was involved in, in, you know, dealing with sexual assault and domestic violence was worried about is the fact that the kids were out of school because the number one reporter 
of sexual assaults of minors is is the teachers in the schools because they see these kids every day and they notice when something is wrong. Mm-hmm. That that um, that poor young girl that was a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2019, there was a young girl who was 12 who had a child, and it, the reason why her case was known was because the teacher noticed that something was up with her. You know, the teachers see these kids every day, and they can tell when something is up, and she made her go to the nurse, and then the nurse determined that the girl was five months pregnant. Wow. Well, So that has been a big worry. So getting the kids back into school is everything, because, you know, the schools are where they learn, where they tell somebody, if they tell their friend, and then you teach, you know, you teach your kids, you know, if you're listening out there, you teach your kids, if somebody ever, you know, one of your friends ever tells you, you know, tell me and I will, you know, call the police, the police will handle it, just tell them. But the big thing is don't sweep it under the rug, tell someone, you know, and even if the perp tells you, because the perp, you know, will say, if you, if you say something, I'll hurt your mom or I'll hurt your dad or I'll hurt, you know, you'll get hurt or somebody will get hurt. You know, just don't listen to them. Just tell someone, you know, and that's what we need to teach our kids is to tell somebody to open your mouth, to use your your voice and, and you know, stand up because that's what these perpetrators are counting on is that they are counting on you to be silent. And, you know, again, it's not just one culture. It's you know, this is happening globally, but, you know, we are dealing with it. Once, once again, Jane, I've had you on for the um, two, in a segment that is not long enough, and I'm going to have to have you back. But we're at the moment now, we're heading towards the 7 o'clock evening news, radio news. Okay. See you, All see right. you, well, thanks, Jane. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And if you're out there, you know, say, if you see something, say something. Call, um, you know, barrel victim advocates reaching out at 477 477- uh, five five seven. I think it's five five seven seven. It's on their website. Just go to Faro.org and then or call GPD. You know, okay. If you see something, say something. Hi, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jane. And now the CBS Radio News at the top of the hour. KGUM AM Hagatnya Guam is News Talk K fifty seven. This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Dell Small Business. I'm Jennifer Kuiper in Chicago. Yet another coronavirus variant has surfaced. This time in the San Francisco Bay Area, KPIX-TV reporter Devin Feely with details. Stanford's Clinical Virology Lab first detected the new strain of the virus in a sample from Santa Clara County on March 25th and believe there could be as many as seven more that are waiting for final confirmation. What's worrisome is that the India variant combines mutations seen in several strains of the virus, like the South Africa, Brazil, and California strains, all in one. A Baylor beatdown. The Bears win the NCAA title, beating Gonzaga 86-70 in Indiana. Meantime, in Texas, Baylor fans cheered and hugged during a big watch. Brain food. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57.
The views expressed on this show belong to the show host, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. Dad Hub with Tyron Titano. I'm Tyron Titano, the director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, Sonia Sileon from the Bureau was uh, scheduled to be in the segment here, but she'll be uh, back in, in some future uh, program to talk about the uh, uh, new uh, coastal signage uh, being developed by the Bureau around the island and get into that subject. But we have with us the man himself, David Delasola, director of labor. David, are you there? Hey, good evening, Tyron. How are you doing today? Thanks so much, David. Um, uh, I'd, I'd asked David to be, come on the program to um, uh, to perhaps uh, uh, enlighten everyone as to uh, the implications or the or the impact on Guam for the re- recently passed American Rescue Plan uh, produced by the Biden administration and passed by Democrats in Congress. Um, as is anyone involved in federal grants of these programs or uh, can I sort of identify with uh, is that knowing the true impact of how these things are going to work out is is um, is not always easy uh, from just reading in the media or the newspapers as to uh, what the program is you know quite often you have to uh, or more often than not you have to wait for the uh, direct uh, advice and guidance uh, from the agencies that actually administer these programs and in this case of uh, of David and Pooh and the other th- uh, programs he administers, this would be the U.S. Department of Labor. And David, uh, by this point, you have received uh, 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 guidance and uh, and explanations from the U.S. Department of Labor on the uh, American Rescue Plan. Yes, we have, and uh, we are in implementation, and um, we still are working. We're not a hundred percent there. I'd say we're at least sixty uh, percent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a very, very quick uh, roll into of this new program, and one of the reasons was because, uh, along with Guam, GSOL, who is our system provider uh, for the PUA, is also uh, providing PUA for and unemployment for about seven, eight other states in, in the U.S. So these were big base changes that were occurring, and uh, as they did it, rolled it out for those other eight states, they also rolled it out for us. Mm. So right now, uh, what's working flawlessly are those claimants who didn't exhaust their claims. Mm -hmm. Uh, That means that they didn't reach the 50 weeks as of March 13th, and those who were filing new claims or are just filing, those have seamlessly rolled over and last uh, uh, a week or so ago when we batched um, we batched up till March 20th so we were a week early because we only wanted to catch one week of the new ARPA program which is the Biden program Mm -hmm. just to see how the system was going to handle it and everything worked well the only ones that we're having a little bit of issues with are those who exhausted their claims on the 13th of uh, March. Mm-hmm. They are still being uh, having base changes to the system. 
So if you're a claimant and and you're going in and you've exhausted, you will see that uh, you're able to file your weekly claims, but you'll still say uh, that you're exhausted as far as your weeks. That's okay. Just keep filing your weeks. Uh, and when the system is able to uh, fix itself, it'll roll you over into a new ARPA claim. So, so that's how they're handling this base change. Okay. Uh, David, just to clarify here, um, are we past the point of uh, people filing claims for, say, the period March to September of last year, or can they do that now? now? No. You can still file claims. All claimants, no matter if they've exhausted or not, can still file their weekly, meaning every Saturday is the end of the work week for a PUA. Meaning, means, on, meaning ongoing uh, unemployment, but they can't go as far back as uh, claiming for March for, of last year, for example. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I misunderstood your statement. You, if anybody that's filing new can only go back as far as December 1st. December 1st of last year. Yeah. I see. So, last year. so even I if they lost their job in March or April or June, they were kind of past that point. So when we yeah. talk about recipients, um, for di- particularly under the... Um, uh, under the uh, American Rescue Plan, it's people who have already filed their claims before December. Uh, and, well, uh, and no, unless you filed, anybody that's filing new can only go back to December. Right, but, but anybody but, that filed before that can still continue on. Right, I'm just, and I, those are the ones that are exhausted. Right, right. So it's it's not because in mid March is is right when they were scheduled to run out, or I believe that was the yeah. yeah. So if but if so, if you have already filed your claims for the period going back to um, you say March of last year, and are uh, continue receiving um, uh, the weekly checks, with the American Rescue Plan was basically extended uh, past the uh, the drop off time in mid March. So um, let me explain it like this. If, you've, if you were one of the original PUA, like uh, during the original shutdown in mid-March, mm-hmm. you have 39 weeks of eligibility under the CARES Act. So if you filed probably up through mid-April-ish or somewhere around there, you would have exhausted your 39 weeks before the end of the CARES Act, which was December 26th you would have exhausted your 39 weeks. But if you filed in August or October, you wouldn't have exhausted. You could have, you would have just filed all the way to the end of the first program, which was December 26th. Then that program extended you to another 50 weeks. Mm. Those who didn't exhaust can still roll over seamlessly because they never exhausted. For, for another 50 weeks? On. For another and 50 weeks? Thing, yeah. yeah for another 50 weeks, and same thing happened in the March 13th. If you were not exhausted, uh, like you filed in October or September, you wouldn't have exhausted your 50 weeks. You wouldn't re-roll over to the new 79-week program, mm-hmm. and you would have never exhausted. You would still be getting paid, and you could still file. It's only those who exhausted their weeks that the system is having a lot more programming efforts attached to it. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little complicated, but the it, it, first one was 39 weeks, right? and that would have exhausted you. That's why some exhausted in November, some exhausted in the beginning of December, mm-hmm. because whatever your 39th week, 
you reached it, you would have stopped. Well, and then uh, let me uh, let me ask you that question. For those whose benefits have been exhausted, say it got exhausted in November and December, uh, what, it does the is the does the program have a place for them, or is is there time on on the on the on this uh, benefit? No, 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 because they were rolled out over in the uh, the continuous the CAA program, the, the tier two program. They were extended for fifty weeks to March thirteenth. Okay. And we were able to get them rolled over. They took a little bit more uh, time. It was like the latter part of January that we were able to start getting them paid. Right. And this is as a consequence of legislation up. passed so they, like last December uh, for that purpose. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. in essence, uh, the, 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 the bowl has been sort of rolling, like from people who yeah. initially lost their uh, their jobs in, in March of last year and in extending, uh, providing a, uh, uh, this assistance into, uh, into uh, November and December. Then Congress acted again to cover that portion up to yeah. March. And then the American Rescue Plan picked up where the, la- the, uh, the previous Congress action fell off in trying to yeah. capture these people on from March 15th. you got to remember, each the continuous uh, assistance and the ARPA, they all were passed after the, the expiration of the program. Right, right. <laughs> so right. everybody was expired or exhausted. Well, that, kicked in that was the kind of... catch up with the system. Well, that was kind of the uh, the well, that was kind of the focal point for a lot of these programs is to address the issues that would crop up once the previous action had had expired. Um, yeah. uh, for anyone interested in, uh, or have any questions for David Olson, Director of Labor, they can join the conversation at four seven seven fifty seven fifty seven. That's four seven seven fifty seven fifty seven. We are broadcast live in News Talk K fifty seven and ninety six point five FM, and we are also streaming live in pncguam.com on kv57.com and on Facebook at Newstalk K57. We are also simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. Again, anyone wishing to join the conversation or have some questions about the pool program can call at 477-5757. So, uh, David, aside from extending the pool program, uh, were there other additional benefits in the um, uh, in, part, in your um, area regarding the American Rescue Plan? Um, well, not in the American Rescue Plan. It's just that uh, uh, two things happened. Um, the governor was successful in getting a waiver for the LWA program, which was a six-week program. What, what does LWA stand for? Requirement for a match. Right now, uh, David, for for, for people's understanding, what does what does LWA stand for? What does the acronym the, stand for? The Lost Wage Act, which was a six-week program from um, July 27th to like. Uh, September 5th, that's six weeks, that's the one that Trump uh, right. uh, established through FEMA, uh-huh. and it had a 25% match that was required by the state and territory to uh, to put, put to kick in, and we were successful to waive that match so we don't have to pay anything, and so that $300 that we gave out was, was free and clear for everybody, and we don't have to match it. Okay, great. So that was good news. That mm-hmm. saved us about nine to twelve million dollars. Wow! And then uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were approved for uh, six million for the dislocated worker grant, and that grant uh, we got an initial one point uh, uh, seven million, and that was to help with the recovery. So we hired about two hundred people. Well, to assist in the recovery efforts. Why don't you contrast, what's the difference between dislocated worker grant and the and the PUA program? 
Okay. Well, dislocated worker grant is monies that are going to be used for people who were unemployed because of the COVID. If you are unemployed because of COVID, then this money was first. We could hire you to help with the vaccine, contact tracing, uh, cleaning GMH rooms, out handing out the food delivery. So these are temporary jobs that uh, to help uh, uh, the island recover. As opposed the to the PUA program, which is which is an assistance program. Is an assistance for those who are unemployed mm-hmm. or reduced in hours because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So uh, this program, we got some of these people into work uh, temporarily, and we're you know, and they're helping us in the recovery. Now that that is, you know, we're in PCOR three and we're enjoying very low numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now shifting out of that, and we were given a, a total of six million dollars. And we're going to use that money to, for those people who are laid off because of COVID to, to uh, work with our training partners to be retrained or upskilled so that you can either, if you're in the tourism industry, maybe you want to go into, uh, you know, one of the demand-driven occupations, heavy equipment operations. Uh, uh, there's lots of construction. There's a lot in medical coding, billing. Um, medical certified nursing assistants, uh, heavy equipment operations and all that stuff. So we're working with our training providers now that they're opening up and hopefully they're going to open boot camps, certification things, and you can go there, get retrained, and then get tied into a, a job that's, you know, a whole new career path mm-hmm. that is more in demand than, and, you know, or we can upskill you to become more uh, skilled in in the tourism industry, but you know that's going to take time for it to rebuild. But then you increase your value. Mm. So uh, those millions of dollars will go into training and upskilling, and uh, hopefully put you in a you know. And then we also have apprenticeship programs. Right. And one one aspect that I think is is often overlooked, particularly on the direct assistance programs, is. Uh, how much they've been a, 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 an important linchpin in maintaining the economy. And uh, not to uh, gloss over, though, the dislocations of, um, of people, particularly small business owners, as a, co- a result of, the, uh, of uh, COVID-19. Um, the, you know, the, and and uh, the impact it has is that on the tourist industry, which uh, hopefully will just be getting baby steps to open uh, uh, next month. Uh, but, you know, they have, uh, one of the... Um, uh, uh, factoids that I've always found sort of interesting throughout this period is that uh, with the collapse of the tourist industry, you know, we've lost a, a sizable portion of our economy, which, depending who you talk to, uh, uh, contributes somewhere from seven or eight hundred million to one point five billion uh, uh, a year into the economy, depending on how you calculate the inputs and direct inputs. Mm-hmm. And um, a good part of that was actually, if not all of it, was offset by. Uh, federal non-military spending on the island, which was the one of the two other linchpins of our economy, the third being federal military spending. And uh, it, it came in the form of stimulus checks. It came in the form of, uh, of CARES grants, which were used to, um, uh, to purchase goods and, uh, and services. And also um, uh, the PUA program and the other programs for those who's lost jobs or uh, from, uh, from the COVID-19 here. And then you put actually cash in the hands of consumers. And this island being largely a wage economy, that I think has been uh, 
has been, uh, it, it, again, not to, to gloss over those who have suffered because of the economic dislocations and some of the impact of this. This has been a little uh, uneven. But in, in macro terms, uh, I think that's helped us get us through this period. Oh, in that well, it's, uh, I, I pumped in about, you know, $620 million. Yes, you know, so, which that's is... just my program. That's just the pool and then, program. Uh, and, and also, to add to that, mm-hmm. you also have hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. But the one thing that has grown during the COVID is construction. Yes. They yeah. have increased in jobs. And all that has to do with uh, the realignment or the build-up, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And hundreds and hundreds of millions have gone out of that. And that has not stopped one bit. That has grown, and that will continue to grow. And our H2s are now at 1,600, and we'll probably double that before the end of the year. And of those, each one of those, we get $2,000-plus uh, for each one a year. Mm-hmm. And each one of those go, goes into apprenticeship programs. So we're going to double that, and then in 2022, we'll probably double that again. And so those, uh, you know, tens of uh, thousands and, and billions of dollars are going to go into apprenticeship, and that'll all be available to train uh, some of our uh, local people into those construction or related type jobs. And uh, so, you know, the message is: don't wait till September when my PUA runs out. Mm-hmm. Get trained. Get uh, skills or get your jobs now because when September comes, the floodgate is gonna, is gonna be open for unemployed workers looking for work. And uh, it's gonna you know, get set up now, think long-term, not the short-term. And uh, uh, you know, uh, be, get yourself in a good position so that uh, when the pool runs out, you'll already be transitioned into a new career or uh, uh, set up for a new and better career path or new job. Yes, and as more small businesses open up, there is increasing demand for workers. Uh, there is, uh, and and who knows? Uh, maybe by later this year, because of federal action, they may these new workers may actually be earning a, a living wage uh, yeah. if the minimum wage gets adjusted. Uh, the other other things I, I think uh, in contributing to the uh, to the rise in opportunity, not only small businesses opening up, is a number of the initiatives uh, done by uh, the Leandro Tenora administration to not only bring yeah. back the economy but diversify it into uh, uh, into uh, areas like aquaculture. Uh, and, and there's a number of um, projects underway to create what is known as the green economy or the circular economy. Uh, for example, in the zero waste program, there are projects to convert waste into resources to fuel a green economy. Uh, one uh, project that's ongoing is to uh, repurpose uh, biosolids produced by the sewage treatment plants into uh, usable potting soil and, and other products for uh, horticulture and, uh, and uh, agriculture and landscaping. Um, that's that's in the works. There's already been uh, more uh, 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 beginnings of private sector growth, in in terms of uh, taking um, uh, uh, throwing away glass and pulverizing it with a glass pulverizer and producing a product that can be used for uh, for a, a parking lot and road construction uh, for uh, less expen- uh, less than uh, uh, than actually uh, uh, mining it, uh, and and also uh, uh, would be. Uh, uh, in the process of creating private sector jobs for this purpose. That was based on the, uh, the sort of research 
and uh, that was done under the Zero Waste Program using one of the world's leading engineering companies. And uh, there are also an, uh, a number of efforts to try and uh, uh, take advantage of um, you know, sort of the, uh, the changing in, in environment and, and the economy in order to create more uh, private sector jobs. So a lot of stuff is, uh, a lot of stuff is happening. Um, and, uh, and we sort of digress from the subject matter of uh, how the poor program is going. But it, it, it does say oh. that, that does say, David, that you're, you and your people at the Department of Labor are looking, uh, having, having survived the hell of creating a, pro a program from scratch. Uh, last year, I, I, I take it the 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 eyes of uh, you and your team are looking beyond uh, what happens after these assistance programs. Well, the, the, that's the next critical uh, uh, thing that we're going to be faced with is the assistance is going to run out, mm -hmm. and our island has to get back and start working again. Mm -hmm. And you know, a year is going to be a year and a half of you know of idleness. People are going to have to get back up, and uh, I'm trying to tell you, take advantage. As you said, there are so many opportunities. Yes, we're in a bad situation. This COVID hit everybody bad, but there are opportunities to retrain, rebuild, mm -hmm. be an entrepreneur. There's so many assistance and federal money and ways to change your career path and try something new that is going to put you in something that you wanted to do but you couldn't. Now's the time to do that. Now's the time to set up and we will pay for it for you to happen, to get in the train. And that's something, I don't have endless dollars for that. So the first people to come in and take advantage of uh, these programs, I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, nursing, uh, medical coding, there's a lot of things that Mariana's training mm -hmm. that if you're unemployed because of it, I will pay for you. GCC is going to start opening classes and boot camps for a lot of uh, these uh, heavy equipment operations, uh, ship repair, uh, construction. Take advantage of those, and I will pay for it. Mm. You know, uh, these are the time for you to take that risk and, and get retooled so that you can start something new and fresh. And, uh, you know, instead of sitting back and crying about something that we have no control over, mm -hmm. take the control, take some of this assistance and, and change, make new, uh, uh, you know, get educated, get reskilled, and hopefully you can come out better in a year or two from now. And this would have never happened if, you know, if this never, uh, if this COVID didn't hit. So, you know, don't be a casualty become a success story, you know, and, and there's uh, opportunities out there for you to do that. And uh, I just want to make sure that, you know, I do get that message out to the people that are, uh, uh, that are, that are displaced and we, we want to help you. David, is there an overall cap on the total number of weeks of um, compensation you can receive in the pool program? Yes. 70 weeks. 70 weeks at most, regardless when you... Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 70, 79 weeks. 79, 79 weeks, no matter, no matter yeah. when, when you filed your claim yeah. or, or, uh, or when you lost oh, your... Oh, yeah. Because, you remember, with Pua, you can go back as early as January 29th, right. even though we didn't have anybody then. Right. So if you're one of those early birds, count your weeks. Yeah. And, uh, and don't, you know, because it happens. 
in November. We started getting calls. What's wrong? Your system is kicking me out. I, I can't get paid. It's because mm-hmm. you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't tell you when everybody exhausts. All I can tell you is that this is now a 79-week program. So- and you got to count. If you're one of those people that started in March, then you got to count your weeks because that's when you're going to expire and that's when you're going to exhaust. And there is nothing I can do <laughs> to continue on. Once you exhaust, you exhaust. Well, if I read the, uh, the the literature properly, everything over the pool program, no matter when you started, or it's all supposed to end around September 6th. That is the sixth, well. That's the drop dead deadline? Our work week is on a Saturday. Uh-huh. The fourth is the last full work week. Ah. Some uh, states, they close on a Sunday or whatever. So, But first uh, week of September week. Is, is, so, is clearly the drop dead uh, date for, uh, yeah. for the program the as currently Saturday, mandated. In the, in the first Saturday in December, whatever that full work week from Sunday to Saturday is the work week in our pool. Mm. Okay, and f- and for those of you who are facing that deadline, then there is uh, opportunities out there, but also uh, training uh, opportunities provided by the Department of Labor, uh, or and yeah. and and and, um, and programs associated uh, and supported by the Department of Labor, like the various boot camps are run by GCC for for a number of very valuable yeah. trades. Uh, which gives you a glide path to a, um, a new employment, a career, a new life. Now, some of that this discussion is, is I think, fairly uh, uh, important not in, uh, not just in principle, but in, in, in sort of practice. Because one of the interesting stats that have emerged uh, regarding the pool program is that, uh, particularly in the in the areas of uh, uh, hardest hit by the COVID nineteen dislocations, which is basically the retail sector and uh, the hotel sector. Uh, the compensation is actually higher than uh, than what was provided um, in those sectors, which is uh, less a reflection, I think, on the on the assistance program, and then perhaps uh, to the extent that the, that the employment in those sectors aren't really um, uh, well-paying jobs, weren't really jobs paying at a living wage. And uh, I think the right balance to do is to provide the employment opportunities, meet the labor requirements of the coming economy, but also um, providing a um, um, a um, uh, a, 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 a an opportunity to, to at least earn a living wage or something close to it, um, to the extent that that, that is possible. Uh, there is a you know um, uh, a long-standing uh, thesis that uh, to the extent that uh, large corporations like Walmart are able to get people at so low wages is because these same people are supported by Medicaid and and food stamps and programs that uh, support the working poor. Um, and, uh, and and in this case here, I think that's uh, uh, I think that's one way of sort of looking at as you plan the future uh, uh, growth of economy. In, in my opinion, um, David, in in terms of um, you developing um, training programs for uh, for uh, uh, the current unemployed here, uh, what is what is the impact of um, uh, small business needs have in in the development of your programs or the uh, or how these programs are administered and tailored? Well. Um Remember, we don't do training. But, we yes. have service providers. All we do is have the grant, and we partner with like GCC, Guam Marianas Training, mm-hmm. Oasis. Uh, uh, there's uh, and and businesses themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, small businesses can take advantage of uh, some of the GRAP program. That's the uh, Guam Registered Apprenticeship Program, where we will pay for those people's salary for those apprentices' salary as you train them. 
and uh, they attend school to become trained into the professions. We have like 1,500 uh, apprenticeable positions. Uh, I think there's even more than that. So any, like uh, a, a lot of the cell phone providers, a lot of the uh, customer service reps, mm-hmm. they go into an apprenticeship program where we pay for them. And the people that are training them are being paid by us. Mm-hmm. And they get they enjoy a, I'm sorry, they enjoy a 50% tax break. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I got mixed up. They enjoy a 50% tax break on all the expenses and the salaries of the individual and the people who train them. That's a huge uh, uh, a break right. and, and cost savings for for a small business if they have a, a small amount of staffing and those staffing have to be uh, trained in those particular types of businesses. We could put together a training program and make it apprenticeable and take any tax credit off, uh, uh, write-offs. There's also on-the-job training, work experiences. So we offer a lot of different things to a lot of businesses to help them get qualified employees because we know how hard it is to find them off the street and, and hire them. Right. A lot of times it might take six months to a year to work with an employee to become a valuable. So we can give them uh, uh, um, some help and training dollars and uh, an assistance while they're um, getting their, you know, workforce trained up and taking the risk on an under-trained person. You can hire them. We will we'll help you as far as assistance and get them trained up to become valuable uh, employees. But the point, larger point I was making here is that in developing these training programs, they're, you're training them for, for job opportunities that actually exist or of a good prospect of existing here. And, and that involves a lot of uh, uh, coordination in terms of workforce planning uh, with, uh, with the business community. Is, 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 is that a fair take on this? Or? Yeah. Okay, so uh, so in essence, what you what you do is not only um, uh, is not only training, but workforce planning and help uh, planning an important part of uh, the economy. From your perspective, what 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 would you say the job market looks like? You know, over the long term, obviously it's not, it's not very good right now, but although it's improving, well, what what would you say is the uh, outlook long term for a vision for Guam? Well, you know, I think you know, just look at where we were at before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We were at you know we were. Once was 3.5, and it went up a little bit of 6% uh, unemployment. We were booming. We couldn't get a hotel room. Right. Uh, we, we, were, we were actually having a hard time getting employer, uh, good employees. I mean, our island was, was moving very well. There was good economic uh, outlook as far as promising businesses that were looking at investing from Taiwan, from uh uh, you know, and from Japan, there were businesses and industries that were looking. I think that, I, you know, there are going to be, uh, we're going to be a data hub. I think that's something that's also going to happen because all the trunk cables are, uh, uh, all the underwater cables are all coming to Guam and then branching out. And, and our, and our so colleague, much, and our uh, colleague Mel Mendiola is, and our colleague Mel Mendiola Gita is working to help realize this with their uh, plans yeah. for an IT Silicon Village. Uh, that yeah. you know, just sort of a reflection of Silicon Valley in California, not necessarily in in that uh, in, in uh, that level, but in something that, that brings together the uh, uh, technological components and and and, uh, and personnel in the in the community and contribute to and training workers, but also creating opportunities. 
uh, as well. There's uh, uh, the, I, I remember Gita as, as an extensive uh, sort of a planning document on this. And, uh, and I know as part of governing and growth strategy to not only bring back the economy, but diversify it and, yeah. and strengthen and it. And that, I think that's there's going to be huge opportunities in the next coming years. Mm-hmm. And if you're a kid, young kid, get trained, get something in the, in the IT tech, I, I think that'll be an emerging uh, industry that you, you'll be right once you get that training or that degree of certification, that the, this iron will be moving towards that direction. I've you know, talked to my business friends, some of them are starting to looking at data hubs, mm. servers, they're all going to be set up here. Uh, there's going to be big opportunities in that, and I think that that's right. And whether the pharmacy industry might come here, I mean, there was so much buzzing going around mm-hmm. uh, before this pandemic. I, I know Governor Gutierrez was looking at so many industries. Right. I know that the governor was reaching out and uh, entertaining a lot of potential uh, incubator programs and things like that. That uh, It was really exciting, the things that were going to be happening before this COVID. It'll come back. Mm-hmm. It'll happen the, again. The basic elements are uh, there. Yeah, and, and I think with China and Hong Kong, people are going to look at Guam as a place to invest because it's a safe U.S., you know, in Asia. Yes. Uh, as we've always said. So, and, and you know, conversely uh, here. pushed back a little bit. And, and you know, conversely here, although we have the planned military builder or military alignment here, have you heard about the Guam Security Initiative? I, I've heard about it, this but is, I haven't really read well, about it. Well, uh, this, uh, 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 this is a proposal <laughs> that's been... Uh, uh, been discussed, but not not, not necessarily uh, uh, fully uh, uh, activated or, or uh, accepted as, as, as foreign policy. But the, the premise is this: uh, given uh, China as an emerging uh, power within the uh, uh, within the Asian Pacific region, uh, it, it, the uh, U.S. needs to uh, invest in national security infrastructure within the region, uh, particularly in its westernmost territory, Guam, uh, to yeah, not only deal yeah. not only to deal with. Um, uh, projection, but also in in defense of Guam, because of the uh, emerging rivalry between China and the U.S., Guam, um, yeah, uh, not to be a downer here, but is it becomes more vulnerable, maybe may potential flashpoint uh, for yeah. any potential future conflict. Something we all know well are well aware of, having uh, our community having lived through World War II for the exact same reasons of and an emergency. The, and the inverse of that is, you know, people in Taiwan are getting skittish. They want safe places to invest. And Guam yes. is just a hop, skip over. They can invest in new industries and manufacturing here on Guam and be a safe location for them as, you know, things are getting dicey. But, uh, hey, Tyrone, I have to get out. I have to go have an obligation. Okay. Uh, well, th- I hope l- I was listen. able to uh, enlighten some of your uh, audience and uh, share some uh, of IPUA. And I really enjoyed well, uh, David, real qu- real quick, you want to leave a, a website or a phone numbers people can call to get more information on PUA program or job training yeah. programs at the Department of Labor? As, as you always know, the 311 is there. It's available to help you. And our libraries, which I uh, they're, they're thanking along, uh, libraries in Jotnia and the library in Dedido are available. You can walk in, and if they can't see you right away, they'll give you an appointment. And they will give you one-to-one service on your claim. Okay, so, fantastic. Uh, that I can promise you. Fantastic. Okay, take care of your family, David, and and thanks for Thank joining you. us this evening. That was David Delasola, director of the Department of Labor.
Uh, this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, we are broadcast live on Newstalk K57 and, and also 96.5 FM. We are simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2 and also live streaming on pncguam.com, on k57.com, and at uh, uh, Facebook at newstalkk57.com. A, uh, a uh, uh, podcast of tonight's proceedings it will be posted later on tonight on k57.com, and the links to it will be posted on the Bureau's three social media pages on the Bureau Statistics and Plans, uh, on the, uh, also the Core Research Initiative, and also uh, for the uh, Guam Coastal Management Program uh, Facebook page. And so if any of you want to catch up on, on some of the details that have been discussed earlier this evening, uh, you can go to there. Um, uh, what we are going to have earlier this evening is, um, is uh, uh, Sonia Sileon from the Bureau of Statistics and Plans uh, to discuss um, uh, the, um, uh, the Bureau's uh, project for doing uh, coastal signage around the island. And this is... Uh, basically, uh, information signage on, on, uh, on, uh, and for dealing with, uh, dealing with the reefs and safety Im information for riptides and other stuff. And uh, what we've uh, done at the bureau is is come on on a different way of, of creating these signs instead of the uh, usual flat metal uh, signs uh, creating this information. We've engaged the services of two local artists. Uh, to come with a more creative signage and be having surrounding by attractive woodworking, reflecting of the island's uh, environmental heritage. Uh, we come first, a couple signs are coming up, I uh, uh, believe, in uh, Matapan Beach uh, in about a month. And then we're going to put up around eight of these signs over the next six months. Now, this is part of a, a larger plan uh, to produce uh, some uh, 20 signage uh, signs around the island here. And we'll have Sonia Senayong to give us an update about this in, uh, in some uh, future program. Um, as I said, uh, one of the things also you can, you can find if you go to the Bureau's uh, Facebook pages are links to the, the new US EPA uh, climate change uh, uh, website, which are providing information on, on climate change and the current policies of the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, US EPA used to have this website, and then on the previous Trump administration, it was um, it was uh, taken down, you know, in an, in an act, I guess, of uh, flagrant climate change denial. Uh, but it's back, as is the uh, uh, you know, doing uh, enacting policy based on science uh, rather than uh, uh, commercial self-interest or uh, uh, some sort uh, uh, sort of politicization of what should be uh, uh, an information data-based uh, sort of approach to uh, problems facing our community. And so uh, if for those who've checked out the website, has a number of interesting resources, including uh, Biden-Harris executive uh, orders, information on climate data reports and resources, uh, on uh, reducing emissions and, and addressing impacts, and, uh, and additional climate resources. So uh, uh, with that, we're going to take a break here, and we'll be back uh, uh, right after uh, after this uh, commercial break. So I'll see you on the other side and we'll wrap up tonight's proceedings and head up for the seven o'clock evening news. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and every day that ends in Y. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. Hi, I'm Wallace the World Roberto, also known as the Mass Man with Premier Properties Management. Are you in financial trouble? I buy, sell, on and off island houses, condos, or land. Call me at 649-5363. Call my friend, Trader Horn, Monday to Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. to buy, sell, or trade just about everything else. 
Trade a Horn. Brought to you by me, Wallace the World Roberto. Only here on News Talk K57. Join Ran and Jenny Kaufman on a celestial journey every Friday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. You could be standing on the edge of heaven right here on News Talk K57. Interested in thoughtful discussion, hard facts, and input from experts in their field? Then please join me, Tyrone Titano, for The Data Hub every Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. in studio on the K57 cams and right here on Newstalk K57. Uh, thank you, Patty. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Your That's exactly. Really well, I'm glad that uh, then I'm so glad that it worked out for you. Did they print? I, I just wanted to call and thank you so much. Okay, so That's... I'm hoping, Patty, that it won't happen. Again. <laughs> Me too. I'm and hoping. I thank to... you so much. Well, at, at least if it happens again, you know where to call. <laughs> okay. thank you so much. All right, Virgie, take good okay. care. It's more than just breaking news and interviews. It's about helping people. On Mornings with Patty, right here on News Talk K57. Your talk, your station. Uh, I was, I've been listening to your show, and I'm mm. very, very highly impressed with you, Polly. Uh, Tom, how about Tom? Uh, you would like to add to the conversation. Go ahead. Uh, yes, you incited me to call. Ooh, okay. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to say uh, K57 is one badass radio station. Oh, nice. Join me, Polly Suba, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. weekdays. Call in and tune in as we explore Guam's bright side on your talk, your station, News Talk. K57. Get a glimpse of your station in studio and in action with the K57 cams. Watch us on K57.com, PNCGuam.com, Fox 6 Guam, and on Facebook at News Talk K57. The K57 cams are sponsored by GVB and Guahan Insurance. Get a glimpse of your station in studio and in action with the K57 cams on News Talk K57. Your talk, your station. No matter who you are, if you've got something to say, say it on Tony Talks. You've been a blessing on the radio for the people, at, you know, the island. I mean, everybody calls you, you know. You, you seem like the number one place to go if information needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. it, it should be, you, you, you should be Dr. Tony Lamarena, weekday afternoons from 2 to 6 on News Talk K57. Your talk. Your station. Pearl in Guam listens online and on K57 KGUM. Big shout out Thank you. to our brave women and men at Anderson Air Force Base and Big Navy U.S. Naval Base. They are listening to us on News Talk K57 on Guam. 570 AM, K57.com, PNC Guam.com, the K57 apps. And now, on 96.5 FM, you're locked on to News Talk K57. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and every day that ends in Y. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. And welcome back. Um, just before closing off tonight's program, I just want to pass out some other important information. The Department of Revenue Taxation just recently issued its uh, release for limited walk-in services for services by the department. And just to read off real, real quick, 
for Guam Driver's License Services, they are, there's limited walk-in service on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And on Thursdays and Fridays, it's only appointment services. For vehicle registration, if you need to re-register your vehicle, uh, it's on uh, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, appointments only. But there is limited walk-in service on Thursday and Fridays. And there's also limited walk-in service for passport services. This is The passport office normally is from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., but it is available for limited walk-in service on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. But Thursdays and Fridays, it's appointments only. And this being tax time, there's uh, the 1040 filing drive through service is available from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. And the tax preparation service is available from 8 a.m., also from 8 a.m. for 12 p.m. And there are also special arrangements for uh, uh, Menumco and persons with disabilities uh, uh, as, as well, between and veterans between uh, 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. So uh, you can look up from the Department of Revenue Taxation website to get uh, uh, more information and perhaps assistance in, in uh, making appointments that you wish to uh, pursue that path. Uh, in future programs, we'll have uh, a guest on to talk about uh, a number of ongoing efforts, including uh, the ZO Race Program, which I referred to earlier this evening. And uh, uh, we have scheduled and see if she's able to, uh, to uh, in her busy schedule, be able to accommodate us as, uh, as uh, our Magahaga Governor Lulian Guerrero, who uh, is set to be on the show next Tuesday, hopefully. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see if that works out. Her, she having a very, very um, uh, busy schedule. Uh, and perhaps talk about her uh, outlook for the future of the island, uh, particularly uh, uh, health-wise, as we come out of uh, uh, making progress in COVID-19. And and, and uh, you know, and she always has an interesting perspective on these things. Her, she being a trained clinician as a nurse, um, and what that means, and how things are looking right now. The numbers are looking good. Uh, the future of the island uh, economically, uh, not the least of which, and. Uh, not only in uh, traditional industries such as tourism and agriculture, but but in new industries like aquaculture and uh, the circ green circular economy and uh, IT and uh, a number of other areas. Uh, also has a, however a general feel as to how we're doing as a community because as much as uh, people focus, um, quite understandably, on the health statistics and on the economic statistics here, uh, our community has been through a lot and uh, and come through uh, rather well, uh, at least as a society and a community, and uh, what this means uh, moving forward here. Because I, for one, have a feeling that we're not going to return to some. We're not going to return to some degree of normalcy, but things uh, uh, will have changed. I mean, I think uh, work habits have changed, and we're all very familiar with Zoom, uh, and uh, and uh, found some of that being very very efficient. Um, but uh, there, uh, it, it may affect for a while, for example, um, uh, public gathering things, even in the best of circumstances. Um, one of the things that the uh, Bureau of Statistics and Plans has uh, set up for August is, uh, is uh, the sixth annual uh, Assembly of Planners Symposium, uh, which uh, will be a combination of sort of Zoom meetings, but also for a limited in-person uh, engagement, it was maybe of uh, well, over 100 people, and we're going to see how well the, how well that works out given uh, the COVID-19 situation there. And we will have uh, somebody on the, the program from the uh, Coastal Management Program with the Bureau of Statistics and Plans to uh, sort of outline what the plans are for the uh, uh, for the um, uh, uh, sixth annual Assembly Plan Symposium. By the way, anyone out there interested in the proceedings of the fifth annual uh, Assembly Plan Symposium, which took place in February of uh, of uh, last year. It was probably the last big co government conferences before uh, March where the public health emergency was declared. You can uh, find uh, YouTube videos of all the proceedings 
uh, from uh, uh, from the Assembly Plan Symposium that deals with issues dealing from uh, flooding and uh, also uh, aspects of the zero waste program and uh, uh, issues regarding uh, land use and land management. Uh, you can go to the Guam Coastal Management Program uh, YouTube channel and you'll have a list of about seven videos to cover the proceedings, including a field trip that was made to the um, biosolids composting uh, a pilot project uh, down at the commercial port. And as I explained, it was a, I think previously in the program, it was a program to uh, help uh, demonstrate the mechanics and, uh, and uh, the safety and the, uh, and the provability of, of, of diverting up to maybe 80,000 tons of biosolids produced by the, uh, by the uh, sewage treatment plants of the Guam, uh, Guam uh, a waterworks authority, and then ha instead of burying it in the ground at great cost, uh, have it uh, repurposed and re and re reused and uh, recycled as uh, as a sort of potting material, which use can use it for agriculture and horticulture and uh, and uh, and also landscaping here. So uh, we're going to have people on on board to discuss these issues and and many others in the next few weeks. And so thank you all for uh, joining us here for the. Uh, for the Data Hub, my name is Tyron Titano. I'm director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, anyone, as I said earlier, uh, we are broadcast live on Newstalk KFT7 and simulcast at 96.5 FM. We're also live streaming on pncguam.com, uh, also on uh, kfd7.com, and uh, on Facebook at Newstalk KFT7. Uh, anyone interested in, uh, in a recording and we're hearing a recording tonight's proceedings, uh, podcast be posted later this evening on kfd7.com. And also links to it will be posted on the Bureau's three social media pages on Facebook, uh, on the Bureau for the Bureau itself, for the Coastal Reef Initiative Program, and also for the Guam Coastal Management Program. Thank you all for joining us this, this evening. See you next week.
Talk K57 is 570 AM KGUM, Hagatnya Guam.